We're in Acts, the book of Acts, uh, New City. We love to go through books of the Bible together, um, and most often that's what we're doing is going through one of the books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, we are in the book of Acts, and uh, in this series, we're looking at the first church. Really, we, we started this by talking about the Holy Spirit and the promise from Jesus that he was sending the Holy Spirit, and we see that happen in the, the, the opening pages of the book of Acts, and so it was only natural for us to uh, continue in the book of Acts and uh, to look at how the first church did what it did, to talk about what the church did, to talk about how God worked in the church and the Spirit's presence in the church, um, to look at everything that we can about that first church, uh, just to see, like, how can we be the church that God wants us to be? What are things that we can learn from from uh, the first church that, that might shape us to be more and more the church that God would have us to be? So last week, we talked about Peter and John going to the temple, and there was a man in the temple uh, at the temple gate who had been there, uh, had been lame since birth, and he was brought there every day. And uh, on this day that Peter and John went to the temple, um, there was a healing, right? The Holy Spirit through them healed this man who had been more than 40 years lame. This caused a huge stir in the temple, and people were gathering um, in, in droves to, to talk to Peter and John and ask them what was going on. Uh, Peter and John shared the, the good news of the gospel, told them about who Jesus was, what Jesus had done, and many believed. And we talked about how at this point the church swelled to more than 10,000 people. I mean, just incredible in a very short period of time that it went from these 120 who were praying in the upper room to now more than 10,000 people. And while it excites me, like I get excited reading the story of Acts and thinking about how all this happened, and I am sure they were incredibly excited as well, the religious leaders were not so excited. Uh, The religious leaders were angry about what was happening, and what we saw was Peter and John um, were arrested because they were telling people, they were like, hey, what's going on here? And they started talking about Jesus, sharing the good news of the gospel. The religious leaders uh, obviously did not believe in Jesus. In fact, it was these same leaders who had Jesus crucified, brought before them a false trial, had him crucified. So now they have Peter and and John with them. And uh, as they are asking Peter and John, like um, what, what, what they were doing, by what authority they did this, Peter and John take advantage of the opportunity and tell them about Jesus as well. So here's the thing, what we talked about last week and where we're picking up this week, they didn't know what to do with Peter and John. Um, because they couldn't, they would love to throw them in jail and leave them there until they died, or maybe have them killed like like they had Jesus. But they couldn't do that because then the crowds who who had seen what happened uh, would be angry with them and upset, and and it would cause problems for them. So as they talked about it, they decided, here's what we'll do: is we'll threaten them, we'll warn them, we'll tell them to stop, and then we will let them go. And so that's exactly what they did. They threatened them. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. They let them go. That's where we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to see what the church did immediately after Peter and John were released and Peter and John were threatened. And listen, it wasn't just Peter and John who were threatened and told to stop talking about Jesus. It was the whole church. So let's pray and then see what the church did. Uh, I ask, as I do every week, would you pray with me, like pray uh, as I'm praying that God would be good to us today to teach us, that the Holy Spirit would, would teach us and we would learn what God would, would have us to learn today about ourselves, about our church, about Him, and that, that, that God would shape us into the people that He wants us to be as individuals um, and as a family, as a church. Would you all pray those things with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, what a, a, a beautiful gift that we have in prayer. Um, thank you. Thank you that we can, because of Jesus, come to you now um, as if we belong in your presence. Because, because of him, we do belong in your presence. So thank you, Father, for the Son. Um, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be good this morning to us, that you would, you would teach us, that you would open our minds to think clearly uh, about the Word and about what we see. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be good to encourage us this morning, encourage us in the Word, 
that you would be good to convict us as well, to convict us of, of sin and righteousness, sin in our lives where we're not doing the things that we should, convict us of righteousness so that we are encouraged to do the things um, that we ought to do. Help us. Help us to be the people that we ought to be. Shape us into the image of Jesus. Shape this church, New City Church, into the people that you would have us to be as well. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to start just by reading our passage this morning. Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 23. We'll go through verse 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay, so what I want to do is just sort of walk through that, that, that passage um, and talk a little bit about what we see and make some observations along the way, what we can take out of this, and, and, and maybe um, help us to see ourselves, right, who we, who we should be and maybe who we, who we aren't. Peter and John, as I said, had been arrested by the religious leaders, same religious leaders that killed Jesus. These very powerful men have threatened them. By threatening them, they are also threatening the entire church. Stop talking about Jesus. They release them because they don't know what to do uh, with them otherwise. And so Peter and John go back to the church to gather with the people of the church, and they tell the people of the church what happened. And so when the people of the church hear what happened, they're responsible response was to pray, to pray. Faced with a challenge, the church prayed, the people prayed. Now, I, I, I want to I talk about us, right? Like life for us is filled with difficulty, with loss, with challenges. It's been that way since the fall, right? Since Adam and Eve sinned. We face these, these problems in our life, these difficulties in our life, um, sickness, death, all these threats to, to our security in our lives. We face them as individuals. Our family faces them. Our church faces them. Our life is really filled um, with all of these challenges. When we face these threats and, and, and dangers and problems, the difference for us and them is that their lives were truly at stake. Like it wasn't just that they were going to be uncomfortable or things weren't going as well as they wanted them to. If they did not comply with the religious leaders, right, these were the same men that had Jesus killed. So their lives were literally at stake if they continued to talk about, about Jesus, now, for us, when we have, and this is thankfully not one of the things that we have to worry about being, being killed because we are talking about Jesus, but we do have all of these threats and problems and um, other issues, sickness, death in our life. When, when those problems come our way, we typically respond in a number of ways. Here's what I'm going to say. I'll say this on the front end. I, I am preaching to you what God has been teaching me all week. Not about you, but about me. <laughs> so when I say the things that I'm going to say today, I'm really talking about me, but I'm just going to include you in it, okay? So, so when, when, when I have all of these problems and issues and, and dangers, what, whatever level of danger that is in my life, um, I respond in a number of ways, and I think that we, we all do, right? So sometimes we turn to our friends. First place that we turn when there's a danger in our life or some problem, we turn to our friend or to a coworker. 
and, and, and maybe we complain to them about the, the bad things that are going on in our life or the people who are, are, are against us or oppose us. We do that sometimes to gain support. Maybe it is to strengthen our side, right? Like in the workplace, if we have a confrontation with somebody, we will go to our coworkers and talk about them so that we can gain support for our side. Sometimes when there are dangers in our life and problems come our way, we are afraid. Like our first response is fear. And in fear, we freeze, right? We get worried. We get worried about what might happen and all of the dangers, all of the negatives that are, that are there. All of the what-ifs that are attached to whatever this issue is going on in, in our life. And we freeze. Sometimes if, if what we are facing is really, really tough, you know, like chronic illness or, or death of someone that we love, sometimes when things are really, really tough, we curse God. Right? And, and, and I'll say this, if you have, as a Christian, if you are a Christian and you've never been in a place in your life where suffering has caused you in some way to curse God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to question God. You're going to blame God. Here's what I want you to know when that happens. God can handle it. God can handle every question that you throw his way. If you think you are the first person to blame God for everything going wrong in your life, I want to invite you to read the Psalms, okay? Because we see it over and over there. And if you, if you think that, that you are, would be the first person to ever say something negative about God, again, go to the Psalms and read the Psalms. Like we, we experience fear genuinely. We, we experience anger and frustration. and all. I, I, am, I am just saying, if you haven't, you will. And, and I want you to know when you get there that God can handle whatever it is that you are emotionally feeling about God, right? So, so we all have these things that come our way. We all respond in all of these different ways. But, but, but the way that they responded was with prayer. Right in my own life, I can tell you, I, I have done all of these things. Again, I have, I have been angry with God. I've cursed God. I've accused God of things. I've gone to co-workers. I've taken sides. I've done everything except what they did. And that's to immediately go to God with prayer. That's what they did. The first place that they ran when they, when they heard these threats, the arrests, the warnings, all of it, they gathered together, and together they raised their voices to God. So again, I'll say this, I don't know about you, but for me, there are often times that that does not describe me. I feel like I can say that because I'm betting that it's you as well, right? That we all struggle with this same thing. So it gets worse if that's convicting to you, like, oh yeah, that's me. I often go to other places, places other than God. They went to God. It gets worse, it gets worse for me. I'm sorry to say this. They didn't pray for relief, they prayed for courage. They didn't pray for relief. They didn't pray that God would remove them from their circumstances. They prayed for courage in their circumstances. Now, again, I'll take all the blame here, right? My prayer would go something like this. Lord, take these people out of office. Lord, remove these people. Um, God, keep me safe from them. You all ever talk about the hedge of protection? <laughs> God, I want that hedge of protection right now, you know? Keep me, I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be in danger. I don't want to be threatened. Lord, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be rejected by the, the, the people around me. Make my way straight. Make it easy. Make me comfortable. Keep suffering and, and, and pain and any loss away from me. That's how I would pray. Here's how their prayer went. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, genuine threats against their life. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you, servant Jesus. Man, theirs was not a prayer of self-preservation, was it? It, 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 was a, it was a prayer of God glorification, right? It was, a, it was a prayer for the good of the people around them. Um, God, you keep doing your signs and wonders. 
You keep doing the miraculous things like you did in the temple. God, you keep doing the miraculous things. You keep healing people so that people are drawn. And then, God, give us the courage in the face of our enemies and your enemies to be bold to proclaim Jesus. That's what their prayer was. Now, remember what had just happened, right? I mean... What, what they're doing is looking at what happened with Peter and John. Peter and John are in the temple. This man is healed. It opens wide this door for them to, to share the gospel, to talk about, about who Jesus is. The people run to them, and they're like, man, who are you? How did you guys do that? And Peter and John take no credit at all. They say, why are you looking at us? Why are you asking me these questions? It was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man was healed. And, and then they go on to tell the story of Jesus and to share the gospel with them, how, how God had provided for their forgiveness in Jesus, how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. They go on to, to call the people to repent and to believe in Jesus. They do that in the face of, 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 of danger, not, not once, but when they were arrested, they do it a second time as they stand before the men who killed Jesus. And now what the church is doing is pleading with God, don't change the circumstances. God, you keep doing what you do, and, and through these miracles and, and, and your signs and wonders, you attract the crowd, and God, give us the courage that we would talk about Jesus. Man, that is incredible to me. And, 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 and in case that you are like maybe I was, thinking that this was the apostles, that, that's not what we're talking about. This, this wasn't the apostles. Like we think, well, you know what? Maybe I would pray that too if I had seen Jesus crucified and raised from the dead. If I had walked with him with his nail-scarred hands after he had been killed and raised. Or, or maybe you think if I had witnessed the same things that they had witnessed, I would do that as well. That's not who was praying here. It was the church that was praying. And the church at this, at this time was made up of thousands and thousands of people who had not seen Jesus who weren't there when Jesus was crucified. They had only heard the stories of Jesus and read the scriptures about Jesus that the apostles were, were pointing to. They had only heard the testimony of others, like us. They were like us. They hadn't seen. They had only been told about it. And here they are in the face of danger God, you keep doing what you're doing, and you give us the strength. You give us the courage to boldly proclaim Jesus. Lord, look upon, look upon their threats and grant to your service to continue, your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That is so amazing to me, and it is so confessionally. I'm just, and so that, that brings the question to why. Why, why is it that we see them respond this way? Why was it that the first thing that they did was, was not to sit around and grumble and complain and, and talk about moving somewhere else? Why was it that, 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 that the first thing that they did was pray? And why was it that they prayed the way that they did? Like, like God, don't take our circumstances. God, keep me safe and secure. They, that, why did they pray the way they prayed and I don't pray that way? Why did they pray that way? Why did they turn to prayer and then pray that way? And listen to me, we don't. We don't. Why? Just a warning here for me conviction doesn't get any better like if you're already been feeling a little bit of conviction it's it gets worse here's why their response and ours is an overflow of what is truly believed let me say that again their response in turning to prayer, their response in what they prayed, their response and our response is an overflow of what we truly believe. Now, I want to read again um, these verses, verse 24. And when they 
heard it, look for things that maybe they believed. We're going to run through some. I'm sure I missed some. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointing. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So I think in these verses, we get a, a, a great glimpse at the early church's theology, right? What, what they believed, who they believed that God was. We ask this in four questions a lot, so some of you will recognize it. Who is God, right? It's one of the questions that we ask. Who is God? So if we, if, if we run through these verses, there are some things that we can see about the early church's belief in who God was. First, they believe God is sovereign. I mean, that's how their prayer starts, sovereign Lord. They believed that God was sovereign. Sovereign means that God had all authority and jurisdiction. It's all his authority. It's all his jurisdiction. Everything, everybody falls under the authority of God. God has authority and jurisdiction over everything and everybody, right? Over every life that is. Every life that is, is under the authority and the jurisdiction of God. It's like a king who has, who has sovereign reign. None who tells him what to do. There is none above him. There is none over him. There is none who tells him what to do. There, there, there is nothing and no one outside of his authority and his power. That's what it means for God to be sovereign, right? The first church believed that God was Sovereign. They also believed that God was creator. They mentioned that. Um, creation. They believed, this church believed, the Genesis account of how things all came to be, right? There was nothing outside of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then God created. God spoke and everything that is came to be because God himself created it. God, God created the heavens, the stars, the planets, the universes, above all of it. And he, he created the earth, the earth that we are on. God created the earth and the plants and the animals and the birds and fish and bugs, all of it. And God created us, humanity, and he created, created us in his image. This understanding, like this is our sovereign creator God. This is what they believed. God created all of this that there is. And as they believed that, and they would go back to the Genesis account to look at creation, part of that includes God being very intentional and purposeful. Right? God did not create accidentally. Uh, as you read the account, he's very intentional there was a purpose to what God was doing. God was creating, he would be their God, right? And God commanded them to be fruitful and fill the earth with image bearers. They believed this about God and that he was intentional. This is all a part of, and we'll talk about it more in a minute, God's big story, right? So, so they believed um, that, that God is sovereign. Who is God? He is sovereign. He is creator. They believed that God was all-knowing. God is all-knowing. God knows everything. Um, I think we see this in verses 25 and 26, um, where God by the Holy Spirit spoke through David. And, and, and when they are referring back to these prophecies and these verses in the Old Testament, the, the ones here that are talking about the nations raging against God and trying to stand against him, what they're saying is God was talking about these days. This is a prophecy about the time that we are living in. What they are saying is, this is no accident. This is all a part of God's plan. Our sovereign God, who is the creator and who knows all things. He talked about this through the prophet David. The Holy Spirit gave David centuries ago these words for us today so that we would understand this time. They believed that God was all-knowing. There was nothing that caught God by surprise, 
right? So, so when we come to this, when we come to this time and, and, and hear the religious leaders are rising up against the church and they're doing what they can, it will only increase to squelch the movement of Christianity and to stop it from moving forward. God wasn't scratching his head in heaven saying, oh my goodness, I had no idea this was going to happen. God knew. God knew that the nations would rage against him. God knew that the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but Rome and the religious leaders, these same men who were after the church, these religious leaders who hated Rome partnered with Rome to stand against God and the plans that God had predetermined in the past to stand against those plans, thinking that they were stopping Christianity and Christ. God wasn't surprised by that. It was all a part of God's plans. He knew the rulers like Herod and Pilate specifically who would gather against him. He knew that the Jews who hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles who hated the, the Jews would come together. They believed that Peter and John, this church believed that. They believed that Peter and John, well, this wasn't an accident. God knew that Peter and John would be threatened. God knew that Peter and John would be arrested and, and stand before the religious leaders that day. They believed that God knew that. They believed that God knew them. They believed that God knew them, that God was aware of what was happening. God was aware of the specific people who were there, right? It was no accident that it was Peter and John. It was no accident that Peter and John got out of prison and came back to these people who were the church. None of it was an accident. Our God is all-knowing. He knows all of it. And our God, they believed, is all-powerful. Omnipotent is the word that we use. Right? There's, there's nothing, they believe, that their God could not do. Nothing that our God cannot do. There's no, there's no force, there's no power, there's no person, there's no thing that is more powerful than God. There is nothing that can stand in God's way. There is nothing that can interrupt God's plans. You can't interrupt God's plans. I can't interrupt God's plan. The government can't interrupt God's plan. None of that can stand before for the power of our all-powerful God, right? And, and, and we, 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 we see that as they're talking about creation, right? I mean, you might can make something, but I want to be there the day you speak it into being. You know what I'm saying? You can't do that. Only God can do that. You might know a lot of stuff, and a lot of you know a lot more stuff than me but you are not all-knowing. I think we see it as well in that word predestined. The word predestined. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand... So what he's saying is, these people stood against what you were planning to do. What you had planned to do b b before the beginning of, of any of this, right? They, they gathered together to stand against your hand and the plan that you had predestined to take place. They saw all of these events, the, 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 the birth of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the ascension, every bit of that, every detail of it, all of it, they saw as a part of God's predetermined plan. This didn't just accidentally happen. God had a plan from the beginning. In fact, we'll talk about it in a second. Genesis 3.15 is the first place that we see that God had this plan to take care of sin. This was always a part of God's plan. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 4 verse 4. Like, like God wasn't only, it's not only that God wasn't surprised by what happened, but listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come, that's what Paul writes, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, at just the right time, just as God had planned, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This wasn't like, 
an accidental time. This was God's timing perfectly. Romans 5, 6, he said, For while we were still weak, at just the right time, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. This is God's predetermined plan. The time was set. God put, put everything into motion to, toward that day. None of it was an accident. And that's what this first church believed. Like, like God, God is sovereign and God is in control. And, and, and God is the authority overseeing all of this. And, and none of it is happening by accident. This is all a part of the predetermined plan of our great God. That's how they saw the events around them unfolding. This is who they believed that God was. They believed that all of these things were, were bigger than their comfort and their security and their safety. What was unfolding was God's, God's plan, God's plan of redemption and restoration, a plan that was set in motion all the way back in the very beginning. God. God set this in, in, in motion. It's his plan, his sovereign plan. This, this, this God who is more powerful than anyone or anything else. This God who is all-knowing. These were the things that they believed about him. And I, I want to say one more. We don't see it, I think, as clearly as maybe we saw those. But, but they believed that God was near. I think, I, think it's, I think it's fair for us to take this away from what was happening. The first church didn't see God as this great power in the universe and a distant clockmaker who, who, who created, right? Like people say they believe in God, but they don't believe in all of the, That's not the way that they saw God. They, they, they saw God as someone who was near. He didn't, he didn't just start things and then sit down and play checkers with Jesus, and glance over every now and then to see what was going on with us. They believed that God was near. God was near to them. God was with them. God was, was intimately involved in their lives and intimately involved in bringing about his plans and his purposes. They believed that this God who is near, this all-powerful creator, this sovereign God who was near to them also loved them and cared for them. That's incredible. He listened. That's why they prayed. He listened. So, so when, we, when we look through their prayer, prayer I, I think there are several things that we can see, obviously, to me, a, a, about who they believe that God is, who they believe that God is. And, 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 and because they believed those things about God, they prayed, right? So, so let me take it a step further because I think there are some things that might be helpful for us to see about who we are. And I think we can see those things as well in what they prayed, right? Who is God? The second question is who are we? And so when we're asking that, I think the first one is obvious. I don't think that they believed they were God, right? Who is God? We, we talked about all of that. Who are we? We are not God. I'm stating the obvious, I know, but the church really believed it. They believed that, that God was sovereign and they are not. Listen to me when I say that. God is sovereign over your life. He's the one who makes the rules. That's what it means to be the king. You can't just arbitrarily say, well, I don't like that rule, so I'm not going to follow it. You are not the sovereign king. Are you with me? You may not like it. You don't get to determine what is sin. You don't get to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is holy and what is not holy. Our sovereign king determines that. And if we believe that he is sovereign... If we believe that he is God, then our life is a response to that. Here's the truth. I, I, I'm saying they believe that, that he is God and they are not, and that's why they followed him. We don't believe he's God. We believe that we are God, and we can make our own rules and decisions. So while it might be obvious, right, to say that he is God and we are not, the reality is that we often live as if we are God. 
We live as if we are the sovereign over our lives to make all of the decisions ourselves and do what we want. And Granddaddy, Granddaddy God doesn't mind. The first church prayed to God because they believed he was sovereign. He had sovereign power and sovereign authority over the very men who threatened them. They believed that. They believed that he was creator, right? He spoke all these things into existence. They believed that he was all-powerful. And they knew that they weren't. They knew they couldn't create. They knew that they couldn't speak into existence or out of existence. They knew that they weren't all-powerful. They knew that these men who threatened them were powerful, more powerful than they were. They understood that on their best day, as much as they might know, They, too, were like us, not all-knowing. See, one of them, when it comes to the church and God, one of them was all of that. One of them could do anything that he wanted, and the rest of them could not. You know who I'm talking about, right? Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases, the psalmist wrote. That is God, and we are not. The church believed that. Connected with that is this one. Um, They believed they were needy. We are needy, right? God is not needy, but we are needy. Now, I know this doesn't apply to you guys. It just applies to me or doesn't apply to you. You may know somebody like this. How about that? Sometimes people would rather suffer than admit they need help. But that is exactly what prayer is. Prayer is the humble admittance that we are needy. And the truth is, prayer is the humble admittance that not just we are a little bit more needy than God because he's a little bit better than us, and we are desperately needy. We are desperately needy, and we are desperately broken. We are weak. Right? The truth is, if, if, if we admit it, we, we don't know what's coming next, but God does. That's the way they saw it. They saw their need. They were weak and needy. They didn't know what was coming next, but God did, so they prayed. They didn't know the wisest path to take, just like we don't know the wisest path to take, but God is wise, and he promises to share his wisdom with us. The truth is, we mess up as much as we get right. We don't like to admit it, but it's true. You know what else is true? I, I, I think it is true that we are, we, we are more lucky in life than we are successful. I think the truth is, and I think they knew it, we are frail, we are prone to sickness and disease, we, we are weak and desperately needy. One more. They saw themselves as messengers, as, as, as witnesses to who Jesus was and what he had done, right? That, that, that they were a part of something bigger than themselves. So we come back to the big story here, right? We are, we are messengers, witnesses, we are missionaries. This goes back to the Great Commission of when Jesus was with his disciples. And in Matthew 28, he said, listen, as you go, here's what I want you to do. I'm about to leave you. And as you go about your life, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And hey, I'm going to be with you until the end of days, right? The Great Commission. They believe the Great Commission. Here's what we're supposed to do. Uh, that, that, that commission being passed on from, from those disciples who were with Jesus to the next disciples and the next disciples and the next and the next and the next and the next and the next, all the way to us. They, they, they believed when Jesus said in the beginning of Acts that the Holy Spirit is going to come and when he comes with power, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They believed that, right? So when he ascended, there wasn't a question of, okay, what are we supposed to do now? Do we go back to fishing? No, you're witnesses. No, 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 you, you've been commissioned to be missionaries. They, they believed it. They believed it. And, and, and that's why they prayed for, for boldness in the, in the, in the face of these, these threats. Boldness to continue speaking the word, they say. And the word that they're talking about is the same word that got Peter and John arrested. And that is the word about Jesus. The word about Jesus. 
They believed they were gospel messengers, and so they prayed for that boldness. And all of these things tie directly in with, with, with who God is and what God has done and is doing. Remember a few minutes ago, I talked about God being intentional, and I talked about God's big story. I said, we'll get to that in just a second. They believed the big story of God. We talk about it frequently here at New City. They, they may not have called it the big story, but they saw life in this same way, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We believe that's the story of the Bible, right? It's starts with Redeemer who was in and the fall and there are all of these promises through the Old Testament of the Redeemer who was coming. It, it starts in Genesis 3.15 where God promises Adam and Eve in that day that one is coming who will crush the head of the serpent. And this one will forgive sin. He will redeem God's people from their sin and bring them again together with God, right? Creation, people walked, the people, Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the cool of day. They enjoyed the presence of God. That's what we were created for, to be God's people and for him to be our God and for us to enjoy him. The fall wrecked it all. It wrecked it all when Adam and Eve sinned. Sin separated humanity from one another and sin separated humanity from God. And the truth is that, that, that if something wasn't done about it by God himself on God's part, then forevermore every man would be separated from God forever and ever and ever. God was not satisfied with that. This is the story of the Bible. This is the big story. God wasn't satisfied with that. And so, so beginning in Genesis 3.15 and going throughout the Old Testament, God said, he's coming. He's coming. The serpent crusher is coming. The redeemer is coming. The one who will forgive sin is coming. And one day he will restore everything to what it was meant to be in the garden. This church had been looking for the redeemer. They were looking for the Redeemer. When, 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 when Peter and John was talking to the church on the day of Pentecost, before they were believers, and, and then after Pentecost, when they were standing before those religious leaders, and, and when they were in the temple and the crowd gathered, and they began to talk about the Old Testament, what they were saying when they pointed people back to the Old Testament is, He has come. These promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the serpent crusher. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the one who will forgive all sin. And one day, though he has ascended right now to the right hand of the Father, he has promised he is coming back. And when he comes back, he will fully and finally redeem his people. And he will restore all of creation to what it was intended to be in the very beginning. They believed that good news. They were, this wasn't just the same old story that they heard. This was a beautiful story. This was incredible. It, it changed their lives. They, they believed it. They, they, they believed that Jesus was that one. And they believed that while they, while they waited for him to return, while they waited for him to fully and finally crush the head of the serpent and, and, and redeem and restore all things as God intended, while they waited, they believed that they were commissioned to be missionaries. While they waited, they believed that God's, God's purpose and intent for their life was to declare the excellencies of Jesus who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. They believed that they were supposed to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That they were to tell people, who Jesus, to share this beautiful news of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. That there is no other name in heaven by which man might be saved. But there is a name, and the name is Jesus. And there is forgiveness for the very worst of sinners and the very worst of sins. And Jesus delivers. They believe they were, they were a part of that big story. Do you hear me? They believed they were a part of that big story, like God was doing something incredible and, and, and he was changing eternity and he had called them to be a part of that story, a story of, of eternal significance. 
And listen, because they believed that, because they truly believed it. It wasn't a story that they could nod their head to. It was like, yes, I believe that because they believed that. They, they did not pray for God to take them out of their circumstances. They didn't pray to be removed from that. They didn't run from it. They prayed for courage. Courage. And they prayed because they knew they needed God's sovereign help. They prayed because they believed that he was near and heard their prayers and and, and he loved them and cared for them and would help them. They prayed because they, 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 they believed that he was able to do far more than they could ever, ever do or even imagine. God, you keep doing the miracles. This is an amazing story. You keep doing the miracles. You you keep drawing the crowds. And God, just give us the courage when that happens to boldly talk about Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Prayer, right? That's where we started, prayer. I love this story, y'all. Y'all, you can probably tell, right? It's incredible. Prayer, prayer. That we pray or, or that we don't pray. What we pray and, and what we don't pray, it, it, it is all a reflection of our true beliefs. is all a reflection of our true beliefs. Now, I'm not, again, talking about the things we give a head nod to. I'm not, I'm not talking about the things even that we might logically say, yes, I've heard that story, I believe that. I mean true belief, right? True belief that grips our heart and our soul. Like, I really believe this. We, we, we pray because we truly believe that God is near, that he cares, that he loves. We, 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 we pray because we truly believe that, that, that he is able, that he is, he is strong and we are weak. We, we are needy and, and he is our help giver. Or, hear me now, we don't pray because we don't believe it's true. If we don't believe that God is near, that God listens, that God hears, that God cares, that God can truly help and God is willing to help, that God can give us the wisdom that we need. If we, if we don't really believe that, then we don't pray. If we, if we don't see our own weakness, then we don't pray. We pray because we believe that we have, been, we have been called to this incredible mission of redemption and restoration, a story that is bigger than us, a story that is bigger than working toward retirement, a story that is bigger than a 401k, a story that is bigger than the house we live in. We pray because we believe we have been called to this incredible mission, this story of redemption and restoration, a a story of eternal significance. We, We pray for the people around us. We pray for wisdom. We pray for boldness. We pray for boldness to share the truth of the gospel because we believe this big story, because we believe that Jesus is our only hope, because we believe that we are sinners separated from a holy God, because we believe that our friends and our family members will go to hell separated from God because they don't believe in Jesus, because they don't receive the redemption that is theirs. Not praying is a good sign that I might acknowledge all of those things, but I don't really believe them. The first church believed, so they prayed, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love that. 
God, you keep doing the miracles. Give us boldness to speak your word. Give us boldness to talk about Jesus. God heard their prayer. I'll keep doing the miracles. The whole book of Acts unfolds this way. I'll keep doing the miracles. I'll keep gathering the people. And I'm going to give you boldness to talk about Jesus. Filled with the Spirit, they spoke the word with boldness. So, what does your prayer, right? You, you answer for yourself. What does your prayer reveal about your true belief? About what God has done, about what God believes, about, about who God is, about what God has done, about what God will do? What does it, what does it show you that you believe about, about him? What does it show you that you believe about yourself? What does it show you that you believe about this, this big story that we talk about, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and, and you being a part of it? What does your prayer show that you believe? So in a good sermon, the pastor is supposed to tell you what you should do in light of this information, Right? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent of not believing who God is and what he has done. Repent of not believing what, that God would do everything that he's promised to do. R- repent of not believing those things and believe. Repent of not believing the truth about who you are. Right? You are not God. You are not sovereign, you are not all-powerful, you are not all-knowing, you are really not able. Repent. Repent of thinking that you are God and believe the truth that he is God. Repent of not believing that, that, that your life should be shaped by this big story. Repent of not believing that and believe the beautiful news that we have been called to a life so much bigger than the one that most of us live every day. Repent and believe. Repent and believe that all of this is, how do we know that all of this is true, that all of this is important to, to God and to who we are? And we don't, we don't need to look any further than the cross. This is what the cross is all about. Redeeming us to our Father, giving us a purpose, making us sons and daughters, missionaries and servants. Repent. Believe, ultimately, the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your patience and your mercy. Thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you care for us. Father, we believe. Would you help us with our unbelief? Holy Spirit, would you remind us again of who God is and what he's done for us? Would you help us to see that clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Father, would you remind us who we are? Help us. Help us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.